3: You're very welcome to Midweek Late Lunch on LMFM Radio. Let's get straight to business today. Lots of people have been taking holidays and last-minute holidays going on at the moment abroad before schools are back. And indeed, some people will head off in the early days and weeks of September too. And normally, uh, family holidays are straightforward. Everything in order. Off you go, enjoy your holiday and back you come refreshed and renewed afterwards. But my first guest today, well... Was involved in what I can only describe as the holiday from hell that never quite happened. I'm delighted to say hello to one of our GPs, very important people in the Northeast and beyond, who's operating out of Bettystown in County Mead, Dr. Abdullah Afghan. Welcome to the show. Thank you, Jerry.
4: Thank you for having me. Not hello. at
3: all. You are very welcome. Let's start by just painting this picture for listeners. Recently, you booked a family holiday to Turkey. Just tell us, what time did you head to the airport at?
4: So we head uh, to the
3: airport at 10 a.m. Okay, just with all the hassle that's going on with travel, you went early.
4: Yes, Yeah, we went early. Our flight was at about 4 p.m. Yeah, we went early, knew, knowing that, you know, there are long queues and long waiting hours. So, you know, and many people had missed their flights before. Just being cautious of that, you know, we went a bit early. Yes, so, yes,
3: yes, lots of time, 10 a.m., flight 4 o'clock to Turkey. How long is the flight to Turkey? It's almost three hours. OK. So you, yeah. you, no problem, you go through all the uh, channels in Dublin Airport, yeah. onto the flight, out to Turkey, arrive at the airport uh, at what time? About 10 o'clock at night, is it, at this stage?
4: So we arrived at about 11pm... A half 10, 11pm there you know at the yes. security uh, uh, sorry at the exit you know the immigration Yes, yes. So, yes. And, and you
3: know that's a long day in anybody's booth there's yourself your wife and your three children so yes. that's great and you just want to get to where you're to go to and everybody get asleep and get going on the holiday but what happened? Mm-hmm. What happened? Tell us what happened So
4: When we arrived there at the immigration, you know, our passports were checked. I had Irish passports, and two of my younger kids, they have Irish passports. Fatma has Afghan passport, and my eldest son, who was born in Kessel Bar at the time I was working in Mayor General in Kessel Bar, and I had been just short of three years before he was born. Mm. And the rule is that, you know, you must be, one of the parents should have stayed in Ireland for three years to be Irish national. Unfortunately, he was not, you know, we were not eligible. So he... He still has an Afghan passport, and he was helping out, so he needed a visa. But before traveling, so they asked, where is his visa? I told them, look, here I have the visa for entry. Mm.
5: They said,
4: okay, this visa is valid for entering Turkey, but where is his Irish visa? Because he won't be able to travel back, and if he's not able to travel back, we are not going to let you in. But I said, that, okay, I have. look, I have this letter from the Immigration Department of Justice, and you can check their website. But he couldn't understand English. You know, there was a communication barrier as well. Mm. He talked to somebody on phone, then called somebody else. I explained it to him, showed him the letter from the Department of Justice for which I had applied for Aslan's re-entry visa before they were suspended. That this is the letter that was issued to me, that there are no further uh, re-entry visas for m- minors
5: mm. of
4: Irish parents, you know, and they are exempted and allowed to enter back to Ireland without any visa. Okay. And his birth certificate was with me as well, but they were saying no. That we actually need a stamp visa within the past on his passport. Otherwise, we can't allow you. It's illegal. So
3: you you're know? stuck there with immigration, if you like to call it, in uh, Turkey, and they won't let you into the country. What happened then?
4: W- w- where did you? Where did you go to? So then we were sent to a place that is called for Michael for. Uh, passengers illegal are not allowed to enter Turkey. You know there is a detention sort of facility within the airport. We were taken there. All our documents were withheld and passports, everything. We were transferred there within the airport section. There was no food, nothing at all. Now my kids were hungry. They were crying. You know, Aslan being special, so he was crying and he was concerning. And previously, before even traveling, he knew that his passport is blue. You know. Mm. And sort of with the whole immigration thing, he came, you know, he got to know the probably it's again problem because of the passport or... so he was crying and he came to me, he was asking me, you know, it was very hard for us as well. Mm. That, look, Baba, please tell them that we have kids and our kids are hungry and they're crying, please let us go. And, sorry, before that, he told, told me that please talk to them and be, be, you know, say good words to them. Then I said, what good words should I tell them? He told me that... Tell them that, look, we have kids, mother kids, they're crying, they're hungry, please let us go, we want to go out, we want to uh, uh, sleep, we want to have some food. He was crying. I have his video uploaded on Twitter as well. You know, that was heartbreaking. It was extremely difficult for us at that time. Then I asked the immigration officer, that, look, please, if you don't want to allow us to enter Turkey, please let me go to the airport. Uh, so somewhere, you know, that I can grab some food for, you know, I can some buy buy some food for our kids. But I said, please wait, we will get you food, you know, wait for some time. And that time, until, you know, we turned back, there was no food at all. So the whole night our kids were hungry. They couldn't even sleep. There was no sleeping place. They couldn't sleep, you know. They were tired, extremely tired. Because of hunger, they couldn't even sleep in our Like we were holding them in hugs, mm. but they couldn't sleep there. So it was extremely torturing. So you were you
3: were held in that area overnight, no food, nowhere to sleep, and when morning arrived, they they put you on a plane and sent you back to Ireland.
4: Yes, yeah, they sent us back to Ireland, and when we arrived here, the immigration, you know, our passports, all the documents. While being there at the airport, I tried Irish Embassy in uh, Turkey. Yeah, I tried to contact them, you know, to explain the situation. That probably if I could get some help from them. I tried, I left my voicemail and my number. I had my Irish number with me. But I didn't, ha- I didn't hear anything back from them. Okay. Uh, I asked them that if they could help give me my passport back, because I had an Irish passport, and I could stamp Aslan's passport with a re-entry visa from the Irish embassy. They will stay in the airport and I'll go out. But the Turkish immigrants were not allowing. Mm. So anyways, we were sent back on the aeroplane back the next morning. Hungry and everything. We were provided some food on on our way back. Yes. And when we arrived here, the immigration officer told us that unfortunately, this does happen. You know, many to many families this has happened. And so, before booking our flights, actually, you know, just to give you a bit of background, Jerry, like yeah. with Aslan's back of uh, Afghan passport, we couldn't, you know, get security. Aslan is very, you know, special uh, he has Uh, he's very sensitive and he has a disability. So he's always, you know, asking us, why don't you take, look, Baba, my friends are going, they're going on holidays. Why don't you take me on holidays? Mm. He was, though with Afghan passport, I knew that it will be very hard for us to travel. I applied for his naturalization last year in June 2021. That is still pending. And before booking, actually, uh, holidays for Turkey, I tried all the EU embassies because he needs visa for all EU countries. You know, he wanted to, he wouldn't be able to travel without uh, having yes. a valid visa, but there were no appointments available with any EU embassy for the next three months. And his holiday, you know, his summer holidays are only, or summer mm. vacations are only until 25th or 29th of August. So yes. there was no way that we could travel within EU. Also. You know, So this issue
3: has been rolling for some time. And just to come back to the crux of it, and this is the crux really here. uh, uh, The Department of Justice here has uh, suspended re-entry visa requirements for children under the age of 16. So they're saying they're not necessary. But yet... In Turkey, they said, you've got to have it to come in here because we need to be sure. Uh, and he's only a child. And the rest yeah. of you have all your passports, your wife, yourself yeah. and your other two children that he, he might abscond or something, which is ridiculous anyway. But, uh, you know, the laws is an ass at times. But there you go. Now, here's the thing I want to ask you. So that's the position of the Department of Justice. You uh, he was born in this country.
6: He was born in this country. Yes, and wh-
3: and, in uh, c- c- yes, come back to that point. Why hasn't he got a passport? Is it is it that point you made earlier that you had to be three years in Ireland? Was that it? Yes, yeah,
4: that was the only. We were shot a couple of months before actually he was uh, Okay. We, I was shot a couple of months of three years yes. before he was born. Oh unlucky in that sense and
3: that's why I passport. Mm, that's like this is just ridiculous. Oh, you're only talking about weeks here. Your other two children born here have passports as well. Why yes. can't this be why is it taking so long to resolve this, may I ask?
4: I don't know. I've been now Department of Justice have finally come back to me. They have, you know, this, uh, that the Minister for Justice has granted that it will be expedited, you know, and hopefully we should have a response within the next two months. To, oh. But it has been almost 16 months now, you know, yes. 18 months that I had applied for his naturalization and I'm still waiting. And then passport, first, the passport will be another six to eight months. Yes. So first time, you know, naturalized citizens. So it's a long way still, a very, very long way for It us. is, and this boy
3: is six years of age. Come on, it's six years ago he was born in this country and it's still not resolved. This doesn't add up to me, to be honest with you. Again, it's one of these cases. And, and when you say, when you were told on your return that other families have been affected as well, that, that's really worrying and concerning. Now, you paid a lot of money for this holiday. Are you going to be reimbursed?
4: No, all the money is gone, unfortunately. Money is gone, you know, I don't even care about that. But the trouble that my kids, you know, Aslan was saying that I'll never, all those long periods and the trouble is still, you know, uh, that I'll never forget this time. Mm. He's extremely sensitive. We will never forget this trauma, you know, the way our kids were tortured and traumatized. We all were traumatised, but they're kids.
3: Yes, and and, and you, know, you know, the annoying thing as well that you say is that you did go back to the Department of Justice. You said to them, are you sure that our documentation is in an order? And they reassured you that you would be
4: fine. I sent them an email before before actually the visas were suspended. I applied for his re-entry visa before the visas were suspended. And when they sent back my passport back, I requested them. I went to the Department of Justice at the gate. I was not allowed to enter. And then I sent them an email requesting them to please to do us a favor, you know, to stem because I was cautious that this could happen to us. Mm. So I was not sure. Though so with the letter and everything, I had everything re- prepared. Yes. So I sent them an email and I'm still waiting for a response from the Department of Justice. It has been over four months. I emailed them in June.
3: Yeah. Uh just pains me to hear this it really does and and what you and your wife and children had to go through in turkey no food uh, on the go from 10 a.m the previous morning and no holiday put back in a plane this is a trauma i would say that you know your children if you mention holidays again uh, they're going to really think about what happened and this experience aren't they
5: uh,
4: exactly absolutely it will be very hard even you know for them to go back as normal on holidays, really. Every mm. time we go back on holidays, probably they will be, you know, remembering and recalling this trauma. Yeah. And I'm not sure if they will be happy to go.
3: Uh, yeah. Frank, Frank has just messaged me here to the show. He's listening to you along with many, many others. And Frank says, "Is it not the uh, fact, Jerry, that anyone that is born in Ireland is entitled to an Irish passport?"
4: As <laughs> per the law, unfortunately, not. Only those who have been born here with either Irish, you know, roots, grandparents or, you know, grand-grandparents. If you have some roots to Irish, one of the parents must have stayed legally and should have paid all the taxes and everything for minimum three years. I had a friend who was short even a couple of days. His daughter was born here. He was a doctor colleague. His daughter was born only a couple of days before he was three years. She was not granted, you know. Irish
7: passport.
4: Ultimately,
3: has that child that you mentioned there, has she an Irish passport now?
4: She She's seven now. Yes, yeah, she, yes. Has. Yeah, she uh, has an it's Irish passport. It's taken time. After, yeah. after her father became an Irish national, only then. I see. So for six years, she didn't have...
3: Yes. Yes, but it doesn't make sense. You are a citizen. Two of your children are are citizens. Your wife our papers and are in order as well to be here. So it's yes. only this other son of yours that you're waiting to formalize his situation. Are you confident this is going to work out for you ultimately? Are you confident this will be resolved sooner rather than later?
4: It will definitely take time, uh, Jerry. It is going to take at least one more year. But hopefully, you know, with the promises the Department of Justice have made, I believe, you know, really so it will be solved. Yes.
3: My oh my! Uh, it's one of those stories that just really—I I don't know. I—I I honestly don't. Know. And I know there are rules and regulations, and I understand. But look at you—you've been here all these years. You've contributed so much to to us here in Irish society. You pay your taxes and everything, and yes, you find yourself in this shocking situation. I do hope that uh, we'll help in some way today by highlighting this again for you, and uh, that it may fall on someone's ears. And I wish you well. I really do. I hope this is sorted. Of out for you and that you can go uh in in confidence that you can enjoy your family holiday in the future thank you
4: just one last thing to be you know me and my wife both are working doctors and we both had COVID, and we were seriously sick yeah to be honest at that time you know there was no one with us we were really concerned that if we are hospitalized what will happen to our kids so we have sacrificed you know for this country and for this nation and we have been serving And having been treated, now I hope that things will change, but still we are expecting, you know, we are expecting at least to be treated better.
3: Yes, I I hear what you're saying. We all hear what you're saying. And I I add my uh, support to you in those words, doctor. Thank you for taking our call today. Take care of yourself. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. That's Dr. Abdullah Afghan there. Can you just imagine, just folks put yourself in that situation with three small children and you arrive in Turkey at immigration to go through and you're stopped and you're put in that holding area no food nothing with inhumane conditions not even allowed go and get food because of what you would have to term perhaps a glitch he travelled in good faith paid for the holiday the money's gone He did, that's not an issue you heard him saying there at this stage two people who are helping us in this country, come here under difficult circumstances, fleeing their home nation of Afghanistan, come here, settled, work as doctors when we need as many people in healthcare as we can. And yet this happens. You can only imagine those children and the trauma. Come on, we've got to resolve things like this. Bureaucracy at times and rules and regulation. I know there has to be, but by God, when you hear a story like that, it just really does get under your skin, doesn't it? Would you like to pig out? Yes, it's an offer it's going to be made on late lunch after two. Man V Food is coming to Clare Head and we're going to hear all about it. Louise, talking about food, um, I went to Big Mac for the first time in ages on Sunday <laughs> evening to get a quick little takeaway um, because I'm, I'm partial to it from time you to love time. It. I, you know. I do, I do, mm. I have to say. Anyway. From breakfast I, I, to I, I, dinner. <laughs> God you make me I could be in that man V-food thing myself <laughs> the way you're talking there anyway I was waiting in the queue to, to get a takeaway drive through, and I was watching these it was a lovely evening sitting out eating at the benches well Louise the seagulls the gulls were dive bombing people the people at the table people were running away really leaving the, they were dive bombing the gulls Robin chips anything they could get
8: it was unbelievable <laughs> cheeky little things aren't oh, they
3: well I'm going to tell you we have a, a, a gull problem you were thinking about me and gulls weren't you I was Telepathy. yeah you came
8: into my head earlier because hey, I I'm was a reading gull. a piece on RTE um, and it's uh, it was a piece about how to stop the gulls stealing your chips and I just thought of you, Jerry, because you don't like sharing your chips with anybody. I'll tell you one thing: <laughs> How would a gull get your chips? You'd buy them a bag.
3: Warning, warning, warning! Gulls, come near my bag, and you are curtains. You are <laughs> curtains. No way. But seri- you
8: dive bomb the oh, gulls
3: the other way round. <laughs> <Yeah>. Correct. <laughs> to get your chip back. You bet, baby. I would. <laughs> I'm no gull when it comes to my chips. I can tell you that for certain. But you know what? Seriously, Louise, they're a problem. The seagulls, gulls in, herring gulls in towns, in our towns, I see it more and more even where I live. The gulls are a huge problem. And when I saw them attacking those youngsters, there were a lot of youngsters there and afraid of mm. them. You know what I mean? Fearless. They were
8: vicious, were they?
3: Oh, they were fearless going in taking the grub. But folks, you know, wherever you live and you're listening to me today, especially in the urban areas. I, I live in the north side of Droughton and myself. i familiar with this area. What about elsewhere? Is it a problem? You know, is it a problem in the Dock, Dunleer, up along the coast down to Gormanston, or maybe even a problem inland? You know, Navin, Kells, Trimwise, RD... Our gulls are yeah, a Yeah, because they're normally
8: here, aren't they're they? They're normally
3: yeah. near the coast and they come in. But I am telling you, we have a major gull problem in this neck of the woods anyway, that's for sure. What about your area? Any issue with the gulls? 086 1800 658. WhatsApp or text me to the show. I'd love to hear from you. Is it just uh, peculiar to hear because we're so near the coast? But it's a serious problem. And I'll tell you, Louise, uh, people who feed them, forget it. Feed the birds. But jeepers, feeding gulls. I don't know. They're gods creatures, I know. They are birds. They are birds, but anyway. They're not in my book of my favourite list of feathered friends. Put it that way, (laughs) but good luck to them. Now, when I mention the name Adam Rickman, does it ring a bell with you out there? Adam Rickman? Well, I'll tell you who he was. Uh, He was the host of a very popular programme on satellite TV called Man V Food. Do you remember him? Where he used to go in and eat as much as he can and the audience would be uh, egging him on to do as much as he could and stuff it down his cake hole. Well, when I tell you that Man V Food is on its way to claw her head. Yes, it is. Bar manager at the Smuggler's Rest, Parik Smith, joins me on the line. Hello, Parik. Hi, how you doing? For me. Ah, not at all. You're welcome to the show. Uh, uh, did you take the idea from the TV show, or where has the concept come from?
2: Well, there was a few kind of different inspirations. Um, growing up, I actually was a fan of the show. Uh, it used to all be on when we came home from school, mm. and I loved it. Um, but more recently, um, the Seafood Rocks Festival. I don't know if you remember it a yes. couple of years back. Uh, well, the two owners of the Smuggler's Rest were actually the organisers of that festival as well. And we ran a similar eating competition at the festival and it was a huge hit and everyone loved it. And so we just kind of, between Man versus Food and the festival itself, I thought we'd give it another go and see what it's like here.
3: There you go. So what is the story about this? When is it happening? So
2: it's going to happen on Friday the 16th of September at 8pm.
3: And in the smugglers, the beautiful smugglers rest there, you're hosting it this time round. So who are you looking for? Are you looking for man, woman, child? Who who do you want to take part in it?
2: Man, woman, child or baby? <laughs> Any, anyone at all that, that thinks they're able to do it can do
3: it. <laughs> I'm just thinking of a baby man v food and the <laughs> bottles. You'll be making bottles and sterilising there for a few days beforehand. But seriously, it's open to men and women, Yep. Yeah?
2: Anyone at all. Anyone, any- anyone The things they can handle it can, can come on board
3: and do it. Of any age. And what what are you talking about? What are you going to do? You know, there's probably people listening to us today uh, who are, don't know. Man V Food, Adam Rickman, what are we talking about here? Just explain what will happen.
2: Well, in the Seafood Rocks version, it was a little bit more iron stomach, you know. To see if you could eat this kind of things that would make you get sick. For example, you know, like it was fish eyes and it was fish heads and, you know, it was it was kind of... And it was great. It was very entertaining, but I was kind of going a different route doing it in the smugglers. I'm going to go more man versus food and it'll be quantity of food more so than, yeah. you know, rotten food. Um, but basically, there's three rounds. Yep. And the first round is going to be a massive portion of our extra hot spicy wings. Okay. And... The second round, there will be a platter which feeds five people generally and that will consist of beef sliders, goujons, chips, onion rings. And then the third and final round will be a bowl of cold chowder. Right. And the main thing, suppose, for the whole round is you're only allowed one drink okay. to get you through the
3: entire thing. Right. And is it against the clock? it's not so much against the
2: clock um, so I'm hoping to get at least 8 or 10 contestants and at the end of each round it'll be the first say at the end of round 1 there'll be 2 knocked out at the end of round 2 there'll be another 2 knocked out Mm. And then you'll be down to, say, three or four contestants and there'll be whoever whoever comes first, whoever eats it first.
3: Okay, so I see. That's it. So whoever gobbles up and clears the wings, uh, you know, uh, quickest will uh, go through to the next round and the two that are at the bottom and not able to eat it so fast, they're eliminated. Exactly. Oh, now these spicy wings, how hot are they?
2: well I was talking with the chef they're actually they're hot but some people can handle them but I spoke with the chef and we're going to up the ante a little bit and put a little bit of extra kick in it
3: Mm. oh wings you can't beat and that platter you mentioned my word I'm salivating here even listening to you (laughs) run through all that's on it. it it's a deep fried fest yeah, well,
2: I suppose the, it's Lee Pride yeah, yeah. um, Fish, yeah, so the fish good on, um, may maybe a haddock or hake, just depending on yeah, the yeah, uh, time yeah. of year. But the main thing being you're only allowed one drink, I think that's going to hit a lot of people yes. because the spicy wings being the first challenge. I can see a lot of people having to drink on in the first round and then they've nothing to get them through the rest.
3: I'm with you there, Porrick. I could see that myself, that you'd be out of juice after round one and you could be in trouble. And then the cold chowder will be a bit of a... mm, You know, it's not everybody's cup of tea, is it?
2: No, the chowder, we're actually famous for the chowder. Chowder and scampi is... It's just, it's it's world ahead of, of a lot of other places you'd go to. I won't mention names. But the cold cider is different. It's it just it just doesn't taste as good. You know it's cold. It's you know it it's, it's harder to get down. You won't really enjoy it if you know what I mean.
3: Yeah. Now listen, we have some uh, uh, clarifications here. Uh, our Louise wants to know a few things. She might be considering entering. You know, we never know. But anyway, Louise wants to know how how big will the drink be? Will it be a pint glass, a half pint, or a trough? So
2: basically, you can have a pint of anything. Now, obviously, you can't have a pint of vodka or a pint of Bacardi or anything like that. But it can be a pint of Guinness, a pint of Heineken, a pint of water, a pint of milk. But it is a pint.
3: You are so right (laughs) not to allow those strong alcohol because it could be man or woman on their arse for food (laughs) if you allow that. I understand that. Is there an age limit?
2: Uh, no, doesn't no, Well, obviously, um, if there is an under 18's doing yeah. it, they won't be able to have a pint of Heineken. Ah, yeah, well, we understand
3: um, that for sure. But
2: no, provided uh, they get parents' consent or guardians' consent, there okay.
3: is no age them on it. Okay, okay, and a soft drink for the washdown. Do yeah. women get any little. You know, come on, the boys have big gullets and can clean plates in no time. Ladies are genteel and eat their food nice and slowly and daintily. Surely there has to be a handicap system.
2: Uh, well, I've seen I've seen a couple of these things happen before, and generally, age, size, gender never comes into it. I know lads that are heavy eaters all their life, and it's the little small guy that you lift with your finger who ends up winning. <laughs> you know, so I don't think going to be a handicap. I don't. I, I've, I've often seen women absolutely trolling them and, you know, so... Well,
3: Parik, you're in the game there. You see it happening. I, I, I You're a man of your word and I take you at your word. Now, here's a very important one. Um, can uh, contestants uh, enhance the food with, let's say, the likes of condiments, tomato ketchup or anything like that?
2: I haven't fully decided if they can or not. Obviously... With the hot wings, if there was a blue cheese dip, it would make it a little bit easier to eat. You know, it would be as spicy. Yes, yes. Um, but, you know... I suppose you could give them a bit of a leg off. Maybe not with the hot wing part, but, you know, certainly the platter in the middle, they can put a bit of ketchup on, a bit of mayo, whatever
7: they like.
3: You see, we're we're enhancing the competition as we go along here. That's perhaps sub-rule section 5, paragraph <laughs> D26, you know what I mean? In the rules for the competition, you could put it in there. Now, very important as well, what about vegans? No. No.
1: Well, I
2: didn't... Look this is just the first of many, so it's Sorry, Baric. Take off... <laughs>
3: Sorry, Barry. I'm I'm really I'm really grilling you here. It's more like a no, current... No it's, that's,
2: that's it. no, it's fine. but uh, hopefully if this takes off we will do something Yes. You know, every so often, maybe every couple of months we might do a vegan challenge. Obviously, with the type of challenge it is. Yeah. In vegan dish day wouldn't be
3: as Oh, I understand. Listen, you know, we, we understand. What, what, yeah, what look, is, uh... I'm with you here. He may run a vegan special down the road, but it's not going to happen this time. What about a sick bucket?
2: Sick bucket?
3: I'm hoping we're not going to need one. <laughs> <I'd> <laughs> have a, f- a mop bucket uh, for <laughs> I'd have a few handy if I were you, to be honest with you. <laughs> and very important, for you know these people who like to uh, get their money wor- money's worth. If they can't finish... Can they have a doggy bag and bring it home with them? Absolutely. <laughs> no bother at
2: all. They can take it home with them.
3: <laughs> I, oh, they I want to share it, it out with the other they yeah. can. I'm warming to this competition already. To be honest <laughs> with you, I can put your name down. Here oh my god! Want. Oh my god! Don't put me in that. I put you in the spot. You're not putting me in the spot. Hold on a minute. Anyway, I I think I nominate Louise. Our Louise would be very good at that. Yeah, you may get a representative from here. All right. <laughs> anyway, how do people enter?
2: Uh, so, if you just contact us um, on our Facebook page, you can just send us a message to say you'd like to do it, and we'll get back to you, no problem.
3: The Smugglers Rest Facebook page, Clarhead, are running uh, a, a Man V food uh, on the 16th of September. You can enter now. How many contestants will you confine it to?
2: I think eight, possibly ten. Okay. Uh, I'm just a little bit tight for space, but I, uh, yeah. eight anyway, but maybe ten. I'll just have to see.
3: Yes, and uh, um, they have to. Can they make a pitch in their application to say, you know, why I should be chosen?
2: Oh, absolutely, sir. If you make a pitch, and it's entirely up to them. I mean,. <laughs> I'd like to take a hundred applicants you know yes, so I know. If, if, they, if they think it'll help sweeten the deal and get them in absolutely you can make a pitch
3: <laughs> I could see this becoming a league <laughs> you'll get that many <laughs> entries Baric. it'll be a league it'll be like the darts or the rings it'll be going on every week a man v food <laughs> league table and competition you never know even a champions league you wouldn't know at this stage but uh, the sky's the limit with it anyway it's uh, different it's novel and it's happening in the Smuggler's in Clarhead on the 16th of September. Get your entries in now and we wish you all well. Porik, thank you for joining me on the show. No bother at all. Thanks very much. Take care of yourself. Bye bye. That's porrick Smith, bar manager there. What do you think? Would you give it a lash? Oh, yeah, I know some boys that'd love to give it a lash. They cleared the table, everything on the plate, licked the plates, and you never know anything else besides <laughs> Man V food. Yes, Counting Crows and Big Yellow Taxi. Counting seagulls. We were talking about earlier on in the show, and uh, message in there to say, Jerry. I live in, I won't mention where you live, just for, I, I just won't mention it. I, I know you want me to, but lovely, I know where it is on north Side. Northside. There are idiots feeding gulls beside a building site and the rats are starting to appear. Hope you can air, the, air this concern on your show. I will indeed. I've contacted the local authority about putting up a sign explaining the dangers of this ridiculous behaviour. A very concerned resident. I'm sure you are concerned because the proliferation of gulls uh, is unbelievable. I've never experienced anything like it, and it's getting worse. You can hear them in the mornings, and you know uh, it's an issue. It's an issue for a lot of people, Louise. Isn't it? You know, you you know, in schools. I mentioned McDonald's. It's an yeah. issue for school-going children as well, isn't it? You know, a school where I know a
8: school. Yeah, that the gulls awful are a problem. problems. Yeah. yeah, especially lunchtime. Obviously, when the kids are out eating their lunch. Yeah. And-
3: and, you know, they Roll are around. protected. And I know they're protected. But there comes a time uh, when the line has to be drawn. It's as simple as that. But Brigan got a derogation. We talked about this on Late Lunch in the past when they had to. But I feel it's a it's a growing problem. And feeding them, I'm not sure, to be honest with you. They, you know, they, and they've moved inland now from the coast and they can pick up handier food or whatever. They're only wild creatures who, you know, who use their instinct. I understand that. But... It's uh, a problem. It certainly is. What about oh, this one, Louise? Charlotte Crosby from of Geordie Shore fame. J- Charlotte Crosby, she a live birth happening on television. Is it necessary?
8: She's going to give birth live on TV. Yes, she is. Yeah. Why?
3: Uh, don't ask me. But this is this is on the horizon. Uh, it isn't necessary, really. You know
8: what? If, oh, I couldn't like what if something goes wrong? What if no? Mm. Is it getting to be like the Truman Show, really? Like, what is reality and what is telly these mm. days?
3: Yes, good question. You know, what I mean? you know, but from a woman's point of view, you know, us I was
8: glad to be up the other end, I'll tell you. Yeah. <laughs> 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 I couldn't see what I was going what was going on. You
3: know, but is it necessary? She made her name on Geordie Shore. She's well known for other, uh, you know, roles that she put to give live birth on television there was a movie and for the life of me I can't think of the name but 1970s Ireland there was a ferrari a movie came into the cinema where there was a birth a birth on the big screen happened and there was people with (laughs) placards and everything protesting down with this kind of thing oh my oh my (laughs) Uh, you know and I can can you imagine back then what it was like but
8: was there not a series recently on the TV about giving birth I'd say the problem. People giving was. birth, um, but anyway, this yeah. is
3: all cameras in live, every angle, you name it. On television, is it really necessary? I wonder. 086-1800-658. What do you think uh, this afternoon? Let us know. We love to hear from you. Uh, does anyone know the name of that movie I'm talking about? I think it was one word. I don't know whether it was a woman's name or something. But we were cinema goers. Is it an alien
8: movie? No, 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 right. no,
3: no, 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 <laughs> no, no. And this, this was uh, distressing for us uh, Cowboy followers and Batman and all that type of thing. That there was any controversy going on round the cinema. Anyone remember the name of that movie? Helga. Does Helga, Helga ring ring a bell? Helga comes into my head some way could have been Helga I must I must Google that to see what the story is or is that is. a
8: name for cowboy film
3: <laughs> no <laughs> more outer space I think that type of thing is it could have been Helga or something like that can you help me anyone remember it maybe I'm losing me marbles 086 1800 658 you know the usual number to get in touch with us on the show you're with late lunch on LMFM radio and a giant of Irish football passed away last evening I had great time for him and from the first day I ever met him uh, at a League of Ireland game, I got on so well with him. Yes, Des Casey is uh, with us no more, but what a man, what a life he led. And next up on Late Lunch, his good friend Tony O'Kane is going to paint a picture of the great man. Former President and Honorary Secretary of the Football Association of Ireland. His hometown club, Dundalk Football Club, meant everything to him. And he served there for so many years in various capacities. And, of course, then he went on to UEFA, where he became Vice President and one of our highest ever ranking uh, soccer officials. Uh, And I'm talking about, of course, Des Casey. I can't believe I'm talking about the late Des Casey. He was such... A wonderful man and I, I'm glad to say that I got to know him even more and more since I started presenting this show. But I knew him before it through League of Ireland and the Dundalk, Drogheda thing and met him in the FAI on many occasions when I was involved there. But a man who knew him so well and another great football man who's been posting himself a lovely tribute to Des earlier today joins me now. Tony O'Kane, welcome back to the show.
1: Hello, Jerry. How are you? I'm really good. Sad day, Tony. A sad day in Dundalk, yeah, especially at the football club and uh, everyone in town, uh, and I'm sure throughout Ireland for the older generation that will remember Des uh, with great affection and love for all he did, uh, both for Dundalk and for the Republic of Ireland.
3: He was... A fantastic man, and, you know, quiet in his demeanour, but so aware of everything I always found, Tony, that was going on, and always had a word for others. Describe him for our listeners in your
5: book.
1: Absolutely. Des would sit down with anyone and never would flinch. He he would sit, as I say, facing somebody for half an hour, talking about a different. Or whatever they wanted to talk about he had time for everybody that was one of the great assets he was a great
3: listener And involved with the football club there of course from the 60s and what great days he, he, he was involved in and I think of the likes of Andy McGuill another great soccer man there he soldiered with him there for years and many others as well and they were involved in making Dundalk the fantastic club it is uh, and is today and always will be
1: Absolutely Des and, and, and end of our lifelong friends and absolutely spent their, probably their entire life devoted to the Dundalk Football Club. But then Des rose, uh, as I say, to be a great ambassador for Irish football and especially on the international stage. And he, he climbed the, 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 the ladder uh, rapidly to become, as you say, UEFA. Uh, Vice President and he served in different committees the youth, UEFA Youth Executive Committee and he was Secretary with the League for many many years and uh, he, he he's just steeped in football the Casey family were always always of on dog football
3: Mm. Should the ground, Oriel Park, is Casey's Field? You know what I mean. As you say, steeped in it for for generations. The other thing, when you mention he rose up through the FAI and then on into UEFA, he played a pivotal role in Jack Charlton becoming Irish manager.
1: Well, that was probably one of his proudest moments as president. He was the first uh, Irish Irish president to appoint a non-Irish soccer manager. Mm. And I I know at the time there were a lot of ill-feeling with Jack Charlton coming. I remember his first game in Tottenham Park and there were banners up. I don't think they were too welcoming to Jack. But uh, you you saw the legacy that Jack left behind 10 years of the greatest era in Irish football. And especially for me, uh, I always dreamed of going to a World Cup sometime when I was growing up to see Ireland play and, and look at the success that both Des and Jack Charlton brought to the country.
3: Yes, he was instrumental in that. Yeah, as you mentioned there, you travelled extensively and you came across him. I'm sure he was a help with tickets.
1: Oh my God, uh, I, there's there's so many instances, Jerry, where I could say, like I remember one, one, one occasion where we were in America for the 94 plane from New York. Our plane was about five hours late. We were delayed. We had to switch to a different plane. And we didn't arrive in Orlando until about one o'clock in the morning. And there was 50 of us there. They went on to the hotel we were staying, and I had to get a taxi out to the hotel where the Irish team were staying. And there, there was Des waiting in the foyer for me at about half, one, a quarter to two, up to his room, and the briefcase open and all the tickets out for the lads. That's, <laughs> that's just the Biden memories like that. And, and, and also across Europe. And we saw every practically every country in Europe in that era. And Des was always always there with the tickets.
3: And he was such a convivial man as well, wasn't he? And, and when you'd meet him, you wouldn't get that from him. But you, I'm sure, shared a, a pint or two of him or, or a drink Absolutely. over the years. Absolutely.
1: I did a, a gin and tonic now and then, yeah. And he, <laughs> he loved talking about the, the town and football. And he had a great, great knowledge of Irish football. He knew it inside out. And he was a great uh, asset, to, especially to the league and the Fei, with the knowledge that he had of Irish football.
3: And you know Tony, and I, I, I'll say this today. I spoke to him off the record uh, in more recent times, uh, when the FAI uh, was, let's say, under the auspices of a, a regime that's left it in in awful debt. And he, he, from the word go, he said to me, "This is going to end very badly." He knew.
1: I know. Yes, I know. Everyone could see the writing. I was there representing Dundalk at the time, and mm. and when when I was leaving, I could see just what was happening to the FA. It was just it was absolutely tragic, and that that has took that very 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 badly, and the association the way it was left and, and the government to pick up the pieces and help us out and, and mm. still helping us out
3: Yes it pained him deeply you know that Tony he spoke to me about it I remember speaking to him on a couple of occasions and it did hurt him and pain him deeply and he was really 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 concerned um, he he was always a, a fixture in Oriel and of course a fixture on the television when he was lifting the cups and the leagues there he'd oh, be yeah. in the background he but loved was- it
1: didn't he? they were his greatest times he had great affection for the Dark Football Club and you'd see him strolling in there uh, just before the matches and he just sat down like everyone else there and he'd be up in the bar maybe having a drink with the fans and whatever after the match and Absolutely, just loved the dark football club.
3: Mm. Uh, He's a huge loss and he's left a huge void, that is for sure. There were other aspects to him as well, I have to mention. And and you know this, he was a a union man. He loved the railways, didn't he?
1: Absolutely, yeah. He was the secretary of the TSSU uh, union for years. And a great railway enthusiast. When the, still to this day, the, we'd have the old enterprises and different trains coming through uh, Dundalk Station, making the journey from Dublin to Belfast, where, you, where passengers go on and sample, yes, the years on the train. And Des was part of that all the time. He just loved the railway.
3: Back in twenty eleven, he came in and he was advocating for you know the museum in Dundalk to uh, you know have an exhibition, uh, a part of it of the, our exhibitions there to be dedicated to the railway. Let's have a listen, Tony. Here he is with me on late lunch back in twenty eleven. Barrack okay. was a big depot, but the big employer in Dundalk was the Dundalk Engineering Works. Mm. At one stage, there was, there might have been up in two thousand during the war years, and I I think if you speak to, you know, families, nearly every house in Dundalk, every second house had somebody who worked in the works, and we're trying to arise interest in in that particular end because we feel that. You know, in garages and attics and, you know, sheds all over Dundalk, there must be bits of archives from the Dundalk Railway Works. And we would like to aspire to having a permanent little place in the Dundalk Museum, because after all, the railway was undoubtedly the biggest employer in the town for oh it's wonderful to hear his voice there Absolutely. you know Absolutely. and I, I have that interview so I have I treasure it I have to say yeah. and, and you know he, 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 he wrote to me I'll tell you this and you know you know today communication electronic Tony it nearly all is right. but the letter yeah. would come in and I'd see it from Des and it would be about the Dundalk Railway Heritage Society and he'd write a lovely letter to me handwritten and ask me to publicise their events coming up which I always did and you know the other thing about him I can reveal today and Eamon Doyle will verify this if he didn't get an LMFM calendar at the start of every year. That'd be <laughs> hell to pay, Tony. <laughs> he was, he was, honestly, he, he was like that. But, you know, I found him so personable, so generous, so knowledgeable, as you say. And I, I couldn't believe, Tony, he, he's 91.
1: 91. Absolutely. Brilliant age to live to and, and had a wonderful lifetime and a lovely family. You couldn't, you couldn't beat the Casey family. Absolutely uh most beautiful people and there's been part of it and been part of Dundalk and the history as you say with uh, his interest in the rail and I hope I do hope that the, the local museum here at some time will honour his wish to, to have uh, Mm. The railway uh, recognised as part of Dundalk's history, also.
3: Yes, and he's a true son of Dundalk, and I'm sure the football club will uh, could take time and consider uh, what they will do to his memory. But he's certainly deserving of anyone is of of being remembered forever and ever, isn't he?
1: Absolutely, Jerry. Yeah, he'll be an icon in Dundalk, uh, and will always be. He was. Uh, Brilliant ambassador for our town. Once case, Casey was ma- mentioned, it was uh, abroad, wherever he was, Then Doc was always there somewhere with him, you know? Yeah,
3: absolutely. The black and white flowed through his veins that is for sure and so proud of it he was and rightly so Uh, the tributes are flowing in from all over uh, locally nationally internationally as well he made his mark he will always uh, be in our thoughts and today we think of uh, his family his wife and family and we extend our sympathy from LMFM Radio everybody here to the Casey family we will never see his likes again Tony O'Kane thank you so much
1: Thank you very much, Sherry. All the best. Bye. Take
3: care of yourself. Bye-bye. That's Tony O'Kane, there, good friend of Des Casey May. Des, rest in peace. God, the old brain isn't that soft yet. Where did Helga come from? I don't know, but Helga is the name of the movie that caused such controversy in Ireland in the 70s. Thank you to our lovely listeners, many of you coming on to confirm that, and we've Googled it, and it is the name of the movie. Helga is right. My next guest, well, I'm really uh, looking forward to having it chat with him because he knows all about midget car racing. I haven't a clue. Joey Shepard, hello. Hey Jerry, how are things? Very, very good. Well, what is this all about? I'm familiar with stock car racing and some of the uh, other racing. You know what I mean? That below Formula One, never heard of this. What is it?
6: Well, Jerry, like other uh, sorts of sports, we do follow the same kind of um, format. We have our. Yeah, race car drivers that maintain their vehicles. And we basically just, we have nine events across the year. We have our championship races, but they're all in single-seater buggies that we have built or maintained ourselves. And we race them in grass fields. Um, now, I'm sure it's something some people may never have heard of, but um, it's one of those things that you're always going to know somebody who knows somebody who's had some sort of involvement in car Racing. It's a club that's been going on for a very, very long time. We originally set up in the 1930s. Um, it was set up in around Dublin and Wicklow. And... Over the years, it's certainly transformed a lot. Um, We have a lot of pictures from some of the early days of mid-car racing on our club page on Facebook, if um, people want to get an idea of what we're about.
3: And the cars themselves, these are custom-built little cars with what size of engine generally in them?
6: So, they range in different classes. So, we have from 850cc classes, 1000cc classes, and 1200cc classes. So, basically, the smaller end of that scale is all usually based around the old uh, Mini Coopers, mm. um, that kind of engine in the rear. We have some 1000ccs, which are more modern cars, where they're based around a Nissan Micra or a Toyota Yaris or Starlet. And even some of the older cars would have the engine in the front. So, based off old uh, Toyota Starlet or. Uh, um, yes. Nissan Cherries, that kind of thing.
3: And and, and those engines then power these custom-built bodies, is that it? Because you mentioned several small models there, including the Mini. You you, you don't have Minis racing, no?
6: Not at all, not at no. all. So um, the engines basically have a chassis built around them. Yep. You have a single person in a single seat in front of them, and after that, it's all custom works from there, um, just designed and built just to race off-road. And the
3: grass you mentioned, is it a, a round track or what type of, uh, a, a, you know, uh, will I say a track again, do you race round?
6: So basically we work to the field that we get in okay. on the day. We do an awful lot of um, race days with fairs and alongside other clubs that might race around the country as well. So we kind of have to work with what we get. So normally we'd have a long straight, a sweeping bend, a hairpin, a chicane and then a long sweeping bend back around to the straight. So we try to keep it interesting rather than just kind of an over yes. track or a round track.
3: I'm with you now. Thanks for explaining that because we can all picture that now in our minds. So listen, uh, you're aping the Formula One guys, you know, with the with the layout of the track and you adjust that, as you say, to the size of the field. Is there many people involved in the sport or has it dwindled or am I being unfair to you to say that?
6: No, not at all, not at all. Look, it, it's one of those sports that's that's been going for an awful long time. It started out fairly small when times were a little bit different and race cars coming to your area were kind of a big spectacle. Certainly, it would have been a bigger sport. In the 80s and 90s, it would have been massive. You would have had maybe up on 30, 40 cars racing on, on a Sunday. You'd have massive crowds in attendance. Um, the club kind of dwindled a little bit then when we got into the Celtic Tiger era, where guys who are out doing uh, racing, they would have had more money to step up into the rallying and things like that, into the kind of the tarmac and Mondello and things like that where they could spend a little bit more money. Um, but our club has kind of been more always associated with keeping low budget, keeping things fair and equal between competitors. Even if someone wanted to come in and spend massive money on a car, they're still restricted to the same regulations everyone else is. Mm. Uh, so it keeps, that's... It, keeps it
3: equal. Yeah, you know what? I love that about it that's a really positive aspect of it and a real selling point for you but your look at the Celtic Tiger didn't we all lose the run of ourselves <laughs> <laughs> absolutely absolutely. And, and you guys were no exception either with people m- migrating isn't it just when you come to that um, it an expensive sport
6: um, it's probably one of the cheapest motorsports out there to get involved in. Now, saying that, it's certainly not cheap. There's no such thing as a cheap motorsport, mm. but it's definitely one of the cheaper end of things. By the time you have your car set up and your overalls, you're really only talking about about €2,000 Euros a year for running costs. That's between maintenance, entry fees, fuel, and all of the above. Um, it's just getting into the sport at the start getting yourself a car, suit and helmet, that's probably where your expense is going to start. Safety-wise, reasonably? Safety-wise, yeah. we we're a Motorsport Ireland-affiliated sport. Yes, I see that. So we're all under FIA regulations, so every time we go to do an event, the first thing we have to do is get our cars scrutinised before anybody takes to the field, which means safety belts, overalls, helmets, and then the overall construction of the car are all checked way before anybody even attempts to fire up. We then have to go about our safety setup on the track with our crowd control layer of the track, and basically work to a safety meta statement as well. And then that is all approved by the governing body, Motorsport Ireland, and they approve our permit. So part of our permit then covers our insurance and competitors and public liability and all of that end of things.
3: I'm thinking tyres especially when you watch Formula 1 you know the way they're always whipping them on and whipping them off (laughs) and the weather changes what about you guys in the field if it's dry if it's wet you know what I'm talking about
6: not quite going to be an issue with ourselves generally you might be lucky you get one set of tyres for the season (laughs) you could be just very unfortunate to have a little collision with another car or a sharp stone that just could take a new tyre out on you you never know what you're going to get for the day but certainly we would have more um, more seasoned drivers that would be, you know, changing your tyre pressures to suit the track, um, that kind of thing. So you've you've got every element of driver that'll be out there. You'll have the guy out there that is looking for those extra little split seconds here and there, and you have the drivers that go out just for a bit of fun. How
3: many cars in a race?
6: Um, So generally we're split into different classes across the day. You're talking about roughly 10 cars over the day. You may have four cars per race at the start of uh, sessions of six laps. Come to the midsection of the day, you'll have qualifying sessions, and then you'll have uh, a middle championship, which is sponsored by Fire Protection Ireland. You'll have all the cars out in that. Um, the first four from each heat will qualify into that. They're nine lap races. And then you're into the last running races of the day. Um, the Geller is our Grand Prix Championship. That is all drivers out. So that's a 12 lap race then.
3: Any money in this sport, eh? Hey? You know, if you win
6: races. No, not at all.
3: All the Ah, money just goes out of our pockets and not
6: back into it. (laughs) Ah, good on you. On that as well, like the club is a non-for-profit club. We do everything that we race with. We race with um, fundraisers, fair days, um, cancer support groups, things like that, just to raise money. Um, All our drivers pay our entry fees, cover our own costs, and any money that's raised is raised by um, the guys who are organising the event with us. So even at the end of every season, we will make a charitable donation of any profits towards the end of the year to whatever um, sort of a foundation we can, which has been working with us over the year.
3: Terrific. If you want to experience this first-hand Telltown House is the place to be this Sunday.
6: Absolutely. So the drivers will be setting up the track from 10am. The racing will be starting from 2am, 2 2, sorry, 2pm, 2 and it'll be finished around 6pm at the latest. Um, so what we encourage uh, viewers to do is come walk around the paddocks, talk to drivers if you have any interest in setting up. Come and talk to ourselves. We'll basically show you around what's involved, where to get cars, basically how to get started getting Motorsport Ireland licence and we'll work from
3: there. Tell House, Navin, Sunday, everybody welcome. And starts at what time? 2pm is the first race. Great stuff. Lovely to talk to you. Thanks for joining me, Joey. Thanks, Harry. Take care. Bye. It's time for this on Late Lunch.
0: The Late Lunch. Artist, Artist. of the Week.
3: Artist of the Week. Roxy Music this week and the band's fifth album, Siren, and uh, my Monday song, Love is the Drug, was to be Roxy Music's only chart hit in the USA. There you go. 1976 saw them tour to promote it and released the critically acclaimed once-off live album called 80 Live, with Brian Eno returning to the lineup. It was something else, it really was. However, in 76, the band disbanded, going their separate ways. But the hiatus would be short-lived as they reassembled two years later in 78 to record a new album called Manifesto, which produced two big hit singles, including my selected track Today. As the 80s dawned, Roxy Music effectively became a three-piece, comprising Brian Ferry, Phil Manzara and Andy Mackay, with the line-up supplemented by various musicians on a needs-be basis. A significant change in style would emerge for Roxy with the new decade and next album, which I'll tell you about tomorrow. But for today, it's 79 on the album Manifesto, and this one that made it to number four on the UK Singles Charts. music My Artists of the Week and Angel Eyes, my selected song this afternoon. More from them tomorrow on Late Lunch, round about this time. Final break this midweek Wednesday. And after the break, solicitor Shona Madden is joining me. Very interesting topic. If you're buying a house off plans, what you need to know. Stay with us on Late Lunch. (laughs) Buying a house off plan can be fraught with dangers. Shona Madden from Madden Lord joins me again. Hello, Shona. Hi, Jerry. Thanks for taking a call today. Let's begin. The key question or questions a person should ask themselves before they sign the contract, please.
7: Well, there's a few things that people should look out for when they're buying a house off the plan. Some of them would be really easy, uh, good, easy information for them to get. Is it registered with home bond or a similar, you know, long-term 10-year structural guarantee? That would be key. Now, that should be advertised and should be there for the ask and some of the things they might not think of like if you're going to put down a deposit for a house this year and it might be registered for 9 or 12 months um, you might have choices to make and if it finishes to choose from What are the time frames um, for those so under the terms of the contract somebody has a choice you might only have seven or 14 days to communicate that choice from when they're given the details. So nice to have that in the diary if it's something you have to do um, while you're waiting for the house to be built. And probably the most important thing people should be asking for is getting a copy of the plans and the specifications as early as possible. There might even be a block in the ground um, and people will be signing a contract. You need to see the plans and the specifications because under the terms of the contract, that's what the developer has to deliver to them what is set out in the plans and the specifications. Read the a text document that lists out everything, every single aspect of the house that's going to be delivered.
3: You mentioned not a block in the ground and you know yourself, you look at these images on websites, social media, the brilliant brochures and it all looks lovely, Shona. But what happens uh, when delivery time comes round and you uh, inspect the place and it's not like the brochure, you know yourself today, supply problems, Uh, for example, maybe appliances and fittings are not what they were cracked up to be. What about that?
7: Well a few issues there, Jerry, um, and that's a really good question. There's a number of issues there. The brochure in particular, or social media, or those images that are available online, they're not legally binding. So it's the plans and specifications that are given and that are in the contract. That's what determines what the developer has to list, has to deliver to you. So while people will have seen a brochure early on, um, they might be surprised to learn that it's not legally binding. Um, second of all, under the terms of the contract, which will be signed, the developer has the right to make minor changes, and that won't cancel the contract. So it has to be of a minor nature. So you might see things changing like there should have been you know, in the brochure, there was a hedge between all of the houses on the row, and that's changing to a fence. It has to be something of a minor nature. And also, also mindful that when people are signing their contract, yes, they will have seen a brochure, and it will likely show a completed, a full completed estate, and all is finished. But the contract is only for your house that you are signing. So, if the developer makes changes to other houses um, or the overall estate, and that has an impact on you, let's say a block your life. There's nothing you can do about that under the terms of the contract. It's only relating to your house. So uh, in terms of appliances as well, you made that point. The clause in the contract will definitely say that if you're getting appliances in your new build and you saw them a year ago perhaps in a show house, the contract will definitely say that the appliances were only, you know, illustrative. Whatever is delivered to you is what you get.
3: When you mentioned there about, you know, changes that are made subsequently, what about the scenario, and you would be familiar with this, it happened, where properties were unfinished and left unfinished, or the estate became a ghost estate and your house might be one of the few completed. Have you any come back there?
7: You really don't. And like, it is a terrible situation for people to be in. But what I always say to people is your contract for your house with a developer is just for your house. So long as the roads and services, like the paths, are done up to your house and the main road, so there's access to your house, legally, the terms of the contract that you signed with the developer have been complied with. That's why it's really important that, you know, you discount really the brochure from a legal point of view. That that image of the finished estate and the lawns everywhere done or if there's, you know, plans for a leisure facility or things like that, you don't have any contractual remedies against the developer if they are not complete under the terms of your contract. It really is only for your house and the services and access to your house.
3: Just shows you have to have confidence in the people you're dealing with as well. Now, you don't have to remind you or anybody, rising prices is affecting the building cost of houses for sure. Let's say I signed a contract last year at a price with a builder for my new home. And they come back to you now and say, sorry, we can't hold that price. Uh, the price of materials has gone through the roof. Where do you stand there?
7: Well, if you signed a fixed price contract for any of the new build estates, you are you get the benefit of that. So you have signed a fixed price contract, so you can't, you can't uh, be asked to pay more for that. So you get the benefit of the rise. You're not, you can't be invoiced for more. And the only possible way that um, a fixed price uh, pr- uh, contract for a house off the plan could change is actually to do with VAT. So there's VAT in those contracts. Um, so it's a half percent rate and if there was a change in the VAT rate upwards or downwards um, in the budget, that will have a knock-on impact on the price. But the developer can't pass on the increased price for materials or neighbour on to a buyer.
3: Interesting. Uh, delays, what's the remedy if your house is not ready on the expected date?
7: And this is, you know, it's very difficult for people after waiting possibly a year for a house. They've been told last year if it's going to be ready. Um, but unfortunately, like, under the terms of any of these contracts for houses off that plans in estates, there is actually no... End date. There's no date in the contract by when your house will be ready. Obviously, the selling agents will have given you an approximate date, but in the contract itself, and um, the house, the way the contract actually is worded, it says the house is ready when the house is built and when the house is finished. So there is a completion period in the contract which says that the developer usually has 24 calendar months or so two years to finish it. Um, but even with sales, as we saw during COVID, it went beyond that. And to be honest, there's no remedy for a buyer um, in, in those circumstances. Unfortunately, they just have to wait um, until the house is ready because that's what the contract says. Mm. The house is ready and the contract can be fulfilled when it is finished.
3: Just before we finish with a minute or so, how much stamp duty does a person pay? Does that differ if you buy a house off plan?
7: It is a new build house. Actually, because there's that VAT element to the contract, you don't pay stamp duty on that element. If you're buying a second hand house, you'll just pay the one percent. But not for a new build. If you're buying a new build of the plans, you'll actually pay a little bit less than one percent. So if you have a working example of maybe three house for three hundred thousand, you'd only pay about two thousand to six hundred uh, in terms of stamp duty for a new build house.
3: Mm, interesting again indeed. Nice to know this, to be honest with you. Sure, a mine of information, you're 10 years buying and selling. Why wouldn't you be? Anyway, well done to you. You're running a charity will week, which starts next Monday, the 29th of August. Uh, and it runs to the 3rd of September, the Saturday. It's €200 Euro to make the will, folks. But all proceeds, Shona is giving to the Gary Kelly Cancer Support Centre. And you can book your appointments online at maddenlaw.ie or 041 Zero treble three six. That's zero four one nine eight zero three 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 six. And you're back with us next week to talk about remortgaging. You'll be inundated with the wills because everybody, as you know, and you've said it before, Shona, should have a will made, and you can help the Gary Kelly Centre at the same time. See you next Wednesday.
7: Talk to you then.
3: Bye, Jerry. Take care. Bye bye. That's Shona Madden there from Madden Law. That's it on Late Lunch today. Tomorrow Thursday, Doctor Mary O'Kane is with us. Back to school. Anxiety on all fronts. We're talking about it tomorrow. Re-establishing native trees in Ireland, and uh, the face of Brown Thomas. Yes, she's a lovely wee girl from the dock, and she's talking to us tomorrow, and more besides. Eddie Caffrey's coming next with the drive here on LMFM Radio. Stay with us. Great music and more besides. Have a lovely midweek Wednesday evening and do come back to late lunch for your late lunch. served piping hot tomorrow at half one with us. See you then.
0: LMFM Podcasts. With CNC Carpets, we bring the showroom to you or book a new showroom appointment on O.
2: to get started visit plushcare.com slash weight loss that's plushcare.com slash weight loss six,
0: 40 2 hey it's Danny Pellegrino from everything iconic ready to upgrade your style game without blowing
3: your budget?